Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Hello, today we're going to be talking about Christianity and doubting. Doubting wasn't a subject that was ever talked about when I was growing up. You just believed because that's the way you were raised. Maybe some of you listening today didn't come to know Jesus until later in life, but I was exposed as soon as I could understand words. I was, as they say, brought up in the choir loft. My mother was in the choir, and I just automatically believed because that's the way I was raised. I like to call this testimony Surprised by Doubt. The story of C.S. Lewis's uh, coming to faith is in his book, Surprised by Joy. I always thought that had to do with his late-in-life marriage to a woman named Joy, but it actually had to do with the joy, the startling joy of knowing Christ and his salvation. But I was surprised, more like shocked by doubt in my... um, about midway through my college years. And I just want to tell you that story because I don't think doubt is talked about enough. And so when or if you start doubting God or doubting faith or doubting the way you were raised, you might feel like it's kind of a closet uh, doubt and that you don't dare tell anyone because that's exactly how I felt. When I went off to college, I didn't carry particularly high aspirations with me I went to a small Christian college, but I did feel ready for a new adventure. My dad told me later he was surprised I made it past the first year. He didn't see me as the career type. He thought I was boy crazy. I was boy crazy. I was surprised to hear him say that. I go, Dad, of course I'm going to finish college. I think that was after my second year. But what surprised me even more was to discover in the middle of my sophomore year that I had lost my faith. I woke up one day and I thought, I wonder if Christianity is even true. Have I been duped? Does God even exist? Were my parents mistaken? Was I living under a rock all these years and um, I've been wrong? And my parents have been wrong. Actually, it was more of a shock than a surprise. Shocked by doubt, I should have entitled this. These unwelcome questions shook my foundation. I couldn't quite believe I no longer believed. After all, I was in a a great little Christian college. I was attending chapel five days a week because it was required. (laughs) I was immersed in great Bible classes, surrounded by godly professors. I really loved my teachers and my, my new Christian friends. I couldn't understand from where these unbidden and frightening thoughts came. Certainly not from anything I could figure out. No one spoke about doubts. That's why I like to speak about it. There was never a chapel speaker who said, by the way, when you doubt, this is what you can do. Chapel speakers, pastors, professors never broached the subject that I recall. The fact remained, I had lost my faith, and I felt like I was living on the edge of crazy. Uh, My Myers-Briggs is an ENFP, and I found out later that 
to be authentic is part of my core value, is my core value. And so I didn't know that at the time. I just know I felt like I was going crazy, like a schizophrenic. Sick and worried and worried sick. I kept these questions to myself because giving voice to my doubts gave credence to my doubts. I didn't want to give them credence. Was God an Indian giver? My doubts continued for well into the next year. Paul's familiar words in Ephesians 2, 8 were no comfort. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. I knew faith was a gift. I knew that intellectually. But had God changed his mind and arbitrarily taken his gift back like a capricious capricious child at a birthday party? You know, the little one who says... I don't want to give that gift away because I want it. Was God like that? No. Though tenuous at best, my view of God was bigger than that. I wasn't sure there was a God. But if there were, he couldn't be capricious. He wouldn't give and then take back. Could he? Would he? Several months into my doubts, I found myself sitting outside in the mountains in the state of Washington. Now, I was from Southern California. But this was a summer that I was working uh, on a gospel team. I was singing about a God I wasn't sure I believed in at Christian camps. And at night, I would go outside and I would look up at the stars. They were hard to miss. I was from L.A. where there were stars of the Hollywood variety, but not many above, which could be seen with the naked eye, at least not like Washington. Late and alone and night after night in the majestic Northwest, I hashed it out with a God I wasn't sure existed. You see, I really wanted to believe. So I talked to him about it, but I wasn't sure he was there or could even listen. Then finally, gratefully, I held up my hand to grasp my first tendril of faith, one that I could not deny while surrounded by a dark sky spangled and sequined with those stars. I admitted to myself, I had to admit to myself, and I set one doubt straight, just one. God must have created all this. There is too much beauty around me to reject a creator's existence. My cautious first step back to faith is rooted in Romans 1, 19 through 21. I'll read just part of it. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them, to them meaning you and I. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God tells us we can know him and he begins with what he does best, making stuff. We know someone in part by what they make and how they make it. Their reputation is held up by how well they do. And what God made was great. Now, I'm not outdoorsy. I'm married to an Eagle Scout, but that does not make me love the Hilton Hotel any less. But that week in those mountains made me sit up and take notice. Only God could go to such detail. Only God could set up the turning of the planets the schedule of the seasons, the effect of a bee's nose in a dahlia. God invited me to examine what he had made, and it made sense to me that at the least 
He was Creator God. It was a start. A start back to faith. David knew all too well the evidential nature of creation as he wrote in Psalms 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. It's like the heavens are talking to us and telling us how glorious God is. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Only God, only God would go to the trouble of declaring and proclaiming to a 20-something alone on a mountain, suffering in doubt. I needed proof to believe again, and the stars were calling my name. I only needed to open my eyes. God doesn't call you and I to a blind faith, but when we live with one eye closed, we curry unnecessary doubt. We need to open our eyes. Recognizing God's handiwork was a beginning step back to faith that summer in Washington. And I began to pray this prayer, Lord, give me eyes to see what you have made. Remove the blinders. Help me pay attention to your grandeur and beauty. Thank you and amen. There's a comfort in our commonality. A shared weakness gives an added strength. If you're suffering today from any doubts, I hope that when you hear this, that you will be comforted. What happened next was that sometime later, I found myself on a walk with Mrs. Duncan. I didn't know her well. Not well enough, I thought, to share my dark secret of doubt. But for some reason, she felt safe. I knew she was gentle and unassuming. And again, it was dark. We were walking at night. Light shines brighter in the dark. You know that. And I was desperate for light. I wanted to share with her, but hesitated with that closed throat feeling when you are sure you're going to cry and you'd rather not blubber in public, even when it's only one person, even when you know most people don't care if you do, especially another woman. In the end, I choked out my confession. Mrs. Duncan, I whispered, I have doubts. I have doubts. Unruffled and unperturbed, she replied with magical words. I call them magical because I had never heard them before. And God used those words to work magic on my bruised and worried soul. This is what she said. So matter of fact. Oh, Sue, everyone doubts. <laughs> I laugh now, but I was shocked. Everyone doubts? That was news to me. No one I knew ever spoke of doubts. I said that before. Another surprise, this time a welcome surprise. Such words of comfort and relief were not alone in our doubts. I was so glad that I took that risk and I shared my heart with this almost stranger. To have a friend or a mentor or an almost stranger with whom you can be honest with is a gift from the bowels of heaven. God gave me Mrs. Duncan on a walk in the dark, and God brought me one step closer to faith. There's comfort in a sorrow shared. You know that, don't you? I hope you do. The wisdom writer said in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls 
and has not another to lift him up. When we fall, it hurts, but the deeper hurt is falling alone. Woe to him who is alone when he falls. I felt alone in my doubts, desperately so. But sharing with someone older and wiser steadied my uncertain steps. Mrs. Duncan told me that doubts were common. Just hearing a simple truth broke through some of my fear. Though I felt on the edge of crazy, I wasn't crazy altogether, nor all by myself. Everyone doubts. I would not have heard her words if I had not shared my own. Singular vulnerability can be terrifying, but worth the risk when you're sharing your story with one who has lived life and come out the other side, wiser, calmer. She had five, five kids and she was a calm woman. And sitting in a place of love rather than judgment, she did not judge me. We all need someone we can be weak with. I say that a lot. I need someone I can be weak with. Someone with whom we can share and express our doubts. Someone who can hold out a lifeline of truth from God's word and a story of how he worked those truths into their one true life. I can speak with Janie about my kids because she's told me that hers are not cookie-cutter kids and she's learned to trust God for them. I can speak with Elaine about health issues because she's suffered and prayed and waited and she's learned to trust God in the wait. I can speak to Marion about marriage, to Melissa about career issues, to Diane about ministry, to Lonnie about unfilled expectations. I can speak to all these gospel saints and more. Why? Because they have lived life with God through its twists and turns and have learned to trust Him deeper and better. I love inviting Lorraine and Liz, Katie and Sharon, Lori and Annadale, all at once or one by one, to tea at my table or on my porch. Not only because they are lovely and wise, but because they've been there and back again. And they do not judge me. God doesn't call you and I to a solitary faith. And I continue to pray, Lord God, thank you for someone to be weak with in my time of need. May I be one to come alongside another and let her know she's not alone. To tell her that no matter what, you can be trusted. Thank you and amen. In the fall of that year, God met me again with a simple truth. Doubts persisted, which made me wonder if they might never end. I hesitantly broached the subject again, only this time with my favorite professor. I remember exactly where we stood on the sidewalk between Vider and Rutherford Hall when a brief but poignant exchange made all the difference. I'm Mr. Hills, I began, not wanting to cry, especially now in front of a teacher that I respected and loved. But we did stop when I said that. We stopped walking. I said, Mr. Hills, I have doubts. I sort of croaked it again. As I think back now, I wonder how he grasped the gravity of that statement. I really don't think he did. I didn't explain nor elaborate. I couldn't trust my voice. 
yet somehow his words hit the mark. He looked off into who knows where, one never quite knew with favorite English, English professors where their heads might be. All I know is he didn't look at me until he replied gently yet again, matter of fact, from an older person who knew. Well, Sue, if God couldn't handle our questions, he wouldn't be a big enough God, would he? He chuckled mild, mildly, <laughs> and we just kept walking. That was it. That's all he said. I don't think there was anything else. I'm, I'm going to say it again. It was so profound for me. Well, Sue, if God couldn't handle our questions, he wouldn't be a big enough God, would he? I may have nodded. We went on our way, no more discussion, but it was enough. God was big enough, or he wasn't God. Big enough to handle anything I might throw his way, questions, doubts, anger, even accusations. The psalmist knew that. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Psalm 42, 9. John the Baptist knew he could ask questions. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Matthew eleven three. Gideon knew that. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Sounds like a mother's cry, actually. Judges 6.13. Mary knew that. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Speaking of Lazarus. John 11.32. Sarah, Abraham, Job, Moses, and a host of others second-guessed what they heard. They defended their doubts to God. Some even laughed. But God did not run from them, nor push them away. What a comfort. Nor will he run from you and me. Perhaps what God wanted me to learn most during my drought of faith, because it was a desert, was not the answers to my questions, but rather an answer to his question. Sue, how big do you think I am? Once that question was settled, all others could wait to be answered. God doesn't call you and I to a cowering faith. He is not intimidated by our skepticism, nor rattled when we are rattled. He loves us too much to be insulted when we approach him with humble and desperate questions like David and all the rest did. And I pray gratefully, Lord God, thank you that you don't shy away from my doubts nor give up on my dubious faith. Grant me a deeper conviction of your greatness, a wider appreciation of your love. Thank you and amen. Around that time, I read a familiar verse as if for the first time, you know what that's like. You think, wow, I didn't realize the Bible said that, even though you've known you've read it all your life. It was Romans ten seventeen in the King James. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There it was in black and white. Faith comes from God's word. Not comprehending exactly what that meant, I simply began to read the Bible. Not that I hadn't before, but I wanted a formula, and this seemed like a formula. I don't think God always works with formulas, but I was a simple being, and I was desperate. And God blessed me and graced me with a 
with the formula. Faith comes from God's word. Not that I hadn't read the Bible before, but I was on a mission. I wanted desperately to believe again. God was drawing me back to himself. The message in that same scripture puts it this way. Before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. You and I may get the word preached to us a lot, maybe more than we are ready to hear. But I wanted a deep faith to undergird my life's purpose. And for that to happen, I needed to gulp at the river of life until filled up to all the fullness of God, as Paul wrote, Ephesians 3.19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God is a wooing God. He invites. He doesn't force us. He wants us to want him. And then do something about that want. Go after him with all you've got. Jeremiah 29, 13 states, You will seek me and find me. That's a promise. When? It's a, it's a promise with a when. When you seek me with all your heart. Over a period of months of reading, praying, seeking, and desperately wanting, my faith gradually returned. It was not overnight. God met me in my unbelief. He carried me back home. Why this detour of faith? As comforting as Mrs. Duncan's words were, I know now that not everyone doubts. My friends have told me that, oh, I didn't have to go through that. I thought, hmm, well, I did. Perhaps I needed to figure out how serious I was in my pursuit of God. Perhaps God wanted me to have my own faith, not my parents' faith. I needed to believe for myself, not only because of how I was raised. Those of you still raising small children, don't doubt what you're doing is right. You are building into your kids what they most need. But they will be on their own journey eventually. I'm comforted by Mark 9, 24, which describes the candor of a father's desperate faith for his son's healing. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God doesn't call you and I to a perfect faith. I'm so very grateful, and my prayer continues to be, Lord, I'm only this far along in my faith. Please make up for the rest. I believe. Help my unbelief. Thank you and amen. To close this out, I'm going to give you some tips that have helped me. You may not doubt, but if you do, remember that God is never surprised. Three things may help you continue to seek the Lord with all your heart. Or maybe you have a friend who's doubting. Send this podcast to them and pray as you do. Number one, go outside. If you wonder, is this really true? Is Christianity really true? Go outside. You might need an umbrella or a snow coat. And tell God you cannot deny what he has made. We are surrounded by evidence. Number two, find a mentor. 
take a walk with someone like Mrs. Duncan, who will remind you that God is big enough for them and that he will be for you. Ask them to tell, the, tell you stories of faith from their own life. And that will remind you that we all struggle and that it's okay to doubt. Number three, come to Jesus. Tell God you believe and would he please make up for what you may not believe yet. He may reply to that prayer with his own question. How much do you want me? Read my word. Love my son. Walk with my spirit. And your faith will be what it needs to be. Thank you. And amen. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.